Welcome to the Wish Well Podcast, a women's integrative summit on health and wellness. A podcast hosted by Dr. Michelle Dang, a board-certified anesthesiologist and pain management physician with additional fellowship training in integrative medicine. This podcast will feature weekly episodes with women from all walks of life discussing their health and wellness journeys. Hi, everyone. It's Dr. Michelle Dang with the Wish Well Podcast. I'm super excited to bring this episode with Dr. Kathleen Friend to you all. Dr. Friend and I connected a few months ago over social media, and I invited her to come on to chat with me. And um, she is doing so many amazing things. She has written a, two children's books now. When I spoke with her a few months ago, she had written The Greatness Chair, and since then, she's releasing her second book, which is called Sarah in the Greatness Chair. And uh, chatting with her was so fun because it turned out that she took a break from medicine to pursue a degree in music, which was really cool. And we chatted a little bit about that. And so a little bit about Dr. Friend. She obtained her MD, her medical degree, from the University of Miami, her Master of Arts in Social Sciences from the University of Chicago, her BS in Psychology from the University of Illinois, and a BA in Music from Westfield State University. She's had over 30 years of experience with all ages. Currently, she's working as a child psychiatrist in Tucson, Arizona, which is one of my favorite places. Prior to moving to the Southwest, she was the founder and sole proprietor of Integrative Psychiatry of the Berkshires in Lenox, Massachusetts. Dr. Friend has experience in a wide array of non-pharmacologic approaches, including nutrition, functional medicine, neurofeedback, meditation, trauma-sensitive therapy, energy medicine, nurtured heart approach, and heart rhythm meditation. She is an advanced trainer for the nurtured heart approach and mentor and teacher for the Institute for Applied Meditation in Tucson. She is a graduate of the pre- and postnatal psychology program through the Association for Prenatal and Perinatal Psychology and Health. Although she's currently working with older children, the knowledge that she obtained in the PPNE course about attachment, trauma, and polyvagal theory have been foundational for treating children regardless of age. As I mentioned before, she's the author of two children's books, The Greatness Chair and Sarah in the Greatness Chair. These stories are designed to teach children and grown-ups simple methods to grow into their best selves. Based on the nurtured heart approach, this is an addition to the field of positive psychology. You can find out more at greatnesschair.com or contact her at drfriend at drfriend.net. I really hope that you enjoy this episode. And please remember, if you like what you're listening to, give me a reading, give me a review, send me a message. I'm on Instagram at wishwell.health and at our blog website, wishwell.health.blog. Talk to you soon. All right. Hi, everyone. It's Dr. Michelle Dang with the Wish Well podcast. I'm here with Dr. Kathleen Friend. Um, this is actually our very first time, my very first time doing an actual video recording. So if you're listening on the podcast, audio only, you can watch this um, on my YouTube channel and I'll post that on the show notes later. 
Um, so thank you, Kathleen, for being here today. Um, and Dr. Friend is a child psychiatrist. She's also a musician and a children's author. And um, she currently works in Tucson, Arizona, and uh, she practices integrative psychiatry. So welcome, Kathleen. Hi, good afternoon. And I just really want to comment on your courage for diving into this uh, video. <laughs> video. Yeah, it was like we were discussing before we started recording um, with it being COVID-19. Um, I've been seeing patients just from my home uh, via telemedicine. And so um, most days I don't wear any makeup. I'm very casual. And so Kathleen had talked about, oh, let's just do it on video. And I said, sure. <laughs> and so um, I had to look presentable. Um, so, but it was, it's fun. It's stepping outside the box. And um, so I'm very excited to do this. So thank you for being here. Um, and what I ask every, uh, every one of my guests who come on the podcast is what does health and wellness mean to you? Well, that, that's a great question. And what, what it means to me is it has to do with the development of the energetic heart. Um, you know, I could say a lot of things like health and wellness is, you know, eating the right foods and exercising and taking care of our bodies. And I do those things. I mean, I, I do my best to do those things. I think it's important as as, as doctors that we should be walking, you know, doing our best to be role models and showing people what health and wellness can look like, mm -hmm. you know? So we have to be good role models. But for me, health has really, um, I'm very fortunate in that I've never had a really a major illness. I know a lot of doctors have come to integrative medicine and functional medicine through serious health challenges, um, mm -hmm. you know, either mental challenges or physical challenges, and they just weren't satisfied with, with, you know, the traditional care wasn't helping them and they just, they just really had to go further. I, I have been very blessed that I, I have not had to face challenges like that. Um, but what I did find a challenge was how to be, how to really help people who are coming to me you know, mm -hmm. my patients, I, I felt so limited. I, I, I first trained in internal medicine and, and then um, even did nuclear medicine because I was so discouraged. Oh, the Is heart. It? So uh, yeah. I think people who are not medicine don't really, uh, or not in the medical field may not know what nuclear medicine is exactly. Well, that's okay. <laughs> it's a branch of radiology. But anyway, it was very boring. It was very boring. <laughs> It was, what made you decide to go into it um, it, was if it, was space, it was a space holder. I was so burnt out from internal medicine. I just felt it was so cookbook and I couldn't be creative. And I didn't know what else to do. I was trying to, I just wanted to like somehow go into the background, I guess, and get out of patient care. And it was horrible, but <laughs> it was horrible. And then I went to psychiatry after oh, that. Wow. I went back into, you know, people, people, people medicine. What was the time frame between the two? So did you practice internal medicine or nuclear medicine after and then decided to do psychiatry? I did. Uh, well, what I did is two years of residency in internal medicine. So I didn't finish my third year. And then I jumped to the nuclear medicine residency. And I'll be honest, it was kind of because, you know, what was I going to do with two years of internal medicine? And if you went to nuclear medicine, they would take you if you did had two years of internal medicine. So... Mm -hmm. 
I don't know that my thinking went a lot deeper than that in those days. And so I was really trying to tread water. I knew I was lost mm-hmm. and I didn't know what else to do. So I got into a really good program. It was like fantastic program. And, but it, you know, these little side tours that we take are important for our health and wellness because sometimes we just really need to explore and not be afraid to explore new things. Even if we find out that, okay, that was a dead end or not right, but it just helps us really fine tune what's important to us. Mm -hmm. So it's important. I really think it's important in terms of health to have that kind of kindness with yourself if you take a detour. So I took a detour, came back to psychiatry or, or went to psychiatry and for most of my career, I was an adult and geriatric psychiatrist. That was where my training was. Mm-hmm. And um, let's fast forward then a bit. Uh, I got so discouraged with traditional psychiatry. It was so narrow. And I had this great desire to go to music school. I, I'm a musician, you know, and I... Um, and what do you play? Talk about heart. I'm a singer. I'm oh, a okay. And, um, and I just knew I had to do it. I, you know, I, I had to do it. So I did. I dropped out of medicine completely um, for four years, went to music school. And, oh, wow. And, you know, it was just, you know, that, that's, that's speaking of heart. That was really my heart speaking. That was my heart speaking strongly. And it knew that I was never going to rest easy until I accomplished that. And how long were you in practice for psychiatry before you you, you dropped out and did uh, music? Yikes. Uh, I don't know. I'd have to do the math. A long time. Um, 10, 15, maybe 15 years. I don't know. I'd have to do the math. So music is so different than medicine. Was it a very difficult decision for you to leave medicine behind for that amount of time? Especially if you'd had invested no. that much? No? no. So you knew at that point. It was in my heart. Yeah. It was so, and this is, and uh, this will lead to the rest of my journey, but it was so deep in my heart and this passion, even though I knew deep down I wasn't going to be a music, I probably was not going to become a music teacher. I wasn't going to become a performer at the Metropolitan Opera or anything remotely close or lower than that. But it was such a strong wish in my heart. And I was never going to rest easy until I did it. And so that was true. And that was intuition. And music school, I have to be honest, is harder than medical school. (laughs) different. I minored in music in college and that I would have to say my music classes and I played piano pretty much all my life and the music classes were the hardest for me. (laughs) Absolutely. It's very different because in music school you have to master so many different kinds of skills. You know everywhere from if it's voice was mine. Of course I had to do piano for I did piano for three years in music school and it was very hard even though I knew a little piano going in but yeah it was difficult to keep up. It went so fast. So that's one skill. Then to take music theory 
and do all the theory and harmony, that's a whole other part of our brain, you know, a whole yes. different skill set. Then to do the ear training, completely different skill set. Conducting, having to take classes in multiple instruments. Yes. Um, compos I did composition. Every single one of these things used a different part of my brain. Yes. And that was cool, you know? Um, anyway, I could talk forever about music and music school, but, um, so I, I went through that and it was difficult. I did pass, you know, what a music jury is. Yes. Yes. Um, probably the most nerve wracking experience of my whole life. I literally did somehow by the grace of whatever, got through all those juries and graduated <laughs> with a bachelor's degree in music. Wow. <laughs> now, at that juncture, I had a decision to make. And again, my heart led the way. Mm -hmm. I found, um, I literally was graduating from uh, music school and I wasn't sure what I was going to do. I didn't really want to take a psychiatry job, but I, I didn't know. And I literally was at the grocery store and I saw a flyer in my community. And it was a flyer by what I now know as a functional medicine doctor, but I didn't know what that was. Mm -hmm. It said something like non-medicine medicine or something. And it was a flyer. This person was trying to, you know, get patients to consider c coming to him uh, to explore other ways of, of treating illness. And I thought, I wonder what that's about. So I called him up. I said, would you have lunch with me and just talk to me? Like, what are you doing? Mm -hmm. And so literally we had lunch and that week, literally, I'm sorry, the next week, Institute for Functional Medicine was having their annual conference. And that year was about psychiatry or mental health. It was about oh, mental wow. Health. So it was like, seriously? So the message wasn't lost on me that, oh, wow. I literally left the table, went home, made plane reservations, and I went to the conference. Well, the universe was calling to you at that time. <laughs> so I, I looked around the room and I went, I can't believe this. And that was in, gosh, 2010, maybe around, around then, 2010 or 2011. And I didn't know about this world and I didn't know there were other doctors who were thinking more broadly. Mm -hmm. Anyway, long story short, I literally left the conference. I opened up an integrated practice on the spot. I swear a lick and a prayer. I didn't know what, I, I honestly wasn't really sure what, I, what it was going to be, mm -hmm. but I called myself, this is embarrassing to admit on a video, integrative psychiatry of the Berkshires. I had a vision. I followed it. I just opened and I thought, how am I going to, I knew how to talk to patients. I knew, I mean, I knew how to fall back into my old skills. So it wasn't like I was going to leave them empty handed, but I thought, how am I not going to fall back into these old habits and, and, and do something new? Mm -hmm. Well, it was a journey, right? It was a journey. And I built out my toolbox. And as part of that journey, I became involved with a school called the Institute for Applied Meditation. And that's where heart and breath comes in. 
So were you meditating prior to this or is it something just at that moment, at that time, that was something new that you decided to go into? It was old and it was new. In my early uh, 20s, no, in my mid 20s, I uh, practiced yoga for about four years, four or five years when I was in medical school, actually. Mm -hmm. And um, there came a point in my practices of yoga was suddenly mm, my heart started speaking mm -hmm. and I didn't know what to do with that. Mm -hmm. And my heart was saying I wanted to go into music. I mean, things like, like I didn't want to be in medical school really. And I was in my fourth year of medical school at that point. Mm -hmm. I had to shut it down. I really didn't know what to do with it. Okay. That's what happens to a lot of us, by the way, when yeah. our heart speaks to us and we try to ignore it and ignore it. And by the time that we want to listen to it, a lot of times we feel like it may be too late. And I can speak for myself on that too. So, yeah. Yeah, it's amazing that our heart really is speaking and mm -hmm. it wants to have a voice. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it's this nice, it really is this balance between the head and the heart. You know, you know we, we don't chuck our brains, you know, I mean, we have well-developed intellect and abilities to think and that's important, mm -hmm. but there needs to be this balance between the desires in the heart. And, and my experience in my own life is that when I've ignored those desires, they don't go away. Yeah. They keep knocking on the door and you might as well just surrender to them. I, I because <gasps> it's, it's just going to haunt you. So I shut down, like I said, I, I practice yoga. I, I was very devoted. I meditated every day. However, however, my meditation in those days was a very, what they call upward meditation. Mm -hmm. Okay. It really was un, not in the body. I, I would literally sit down, lay down, whatever, close my eyes. And I could open my eyes one half hour. I was so well grooved. I could wake up or whatever, one half hour on the dot every day, oh, my meditation's done. And I had no idea where I was. It was oh. relaxing, I guess, but I was out of my body. Yeah. Okay, so I quit, quit the yoga. So when this came back in, when I found the Institute for Applied Meditation, uh, I wasn't really looking for a meditation school or a spiritual school, but mm -hmm. the person who introduced it to me well, is a very interesting and very smart woman. And I thought, if she sees something in this, I think this is something I should look into. And mm -hmm. so I did. And I enrolled in their first program, which was called the University of the Heart. Oh. And I thought it was such a great name that I think I just wanted to join because I liked the name. So I've been involved with learning how to do their signature practices called heart rhythm meditation. Mm -hmm. And there are many practices, but heart rhythm meditation is, is a type of meditation that is embodied and it really capitalizes on heart and breath. So we're mm -hmm. gonna come back to those two words. And because these, the heartbeat and the breath are the two basic rhythms in the body. They're mm -hmm. the fundamental life rhythms. And being a musician, <laughs> I, um, I understood about rhythm, 
mm -hmm. and, and how different rhythms could come together, go apart, be juxtaposed. And so that, that kind of like intrigued me right away. And the teachings came from the lineage that these teachings came from were from the Sufis. And in the, what is that? The Sufis, the sort of the mystical, most people say it's the mystical branch of Islam, but it's not. It's just the mystical, it's like a mystical path that really mm -hmm. focuses on the heart. Okay. So poets like Rumi, if you've heard of Rumi. Yes. He would be, he's a Sufi. Okay. Yeah. So, um, so were you, when you took part of this university of the heart, did you bring this into your integrative practice? Did you bring it to your patients? I did. Um, mm -hmm. Over time, as I learned how to um, be more in my own heart, hear it speak, and regulate my own nervous system through heart and breath, because that's mm -hmm. another piece that it really does. Mm -hmm. um, I started um, teaching heart rhythm meditation to my patients. And at that time, I was not seeing kids. It was mostly adults. And actually, the place that I lived, it was a lot of older people. It was more geriatric. They were the best. Mm -hmm. They were honestly, they were more open. They were the most open group. And so we had a lot of fun. Yeah. But time moved on, and I moved to Tucson, Arizona. About I love Tucson. <laughs> and I knew, oddly enough, I knew it was time to give up my integrative practice that I had developed in Massachusetts, which was lovely. And I learned a lot. I was doing neurofeedback and QEEGs and teaching meditation. And I was doing a little functional medicine. And it was just a hodgepodge of everything I just kind of learned and got interested in. And we had a lot of fun. But I knew that it was done. There came a point where my heart just knew that was, I needed to move on. So when I came to Tucson, I just took a job. This sounds weird, but I took a job in a traditional community mental health center. And they hired me as a child psychiatrist, which was a freaking miracle. Because I really wanted to work with kids, but my training is an adult. Uh -huh. I got this job and here I am, this functional integrative psychiatrist dialed back into the belly of the beast of the most conventional place, right? Uh -huh, uh -huh. But what a challenge was I to bring an expanded view in a traditional setting. Were they open to that? Because I mean, I know in my experience and other people's experiences, sometimes traditional places are not open to much of anything outside the box. Here's how it's worked. Um, they're, they're open and not open. Um, I, what I did is I didn't try to convince anybody. Mm -hmm. What I did is I just did, I just do what I do. The patients love it. And so when I would talk with other, um, doctors in my clinic, we, we would have meetings and clinical stuff. And I would say, well, you know, I did this, or have you thought about this? And I would just throw stuff out. And then about a little less than a year ago, I became the medical director. Oh, wow. And how long had you been in Tucson when this happened? Oh, about three years. Okay. So two and a half. So mm -hmm. I stepped into the medical director role. So now I had more say. So I will frequently at medical staff meetings, I might bring a paper 
that talks about, now here we're going back just to the body, but maybe vitamin D and depression or omega, you know, something like that. Or nutrition, how about food is medicine. So now I, I sneak it in and, you know, I send articles to my medical team. Like if I see a really good integrative psychiatry article, I'll just send it. Most of the time they don't even respond to me, but it's permeating. I can see suddenly they're coming to me and saying, oh yeah, well, what should I do about this and what? So they're open. Yeah. And, and if they get patients coming to them who want more natural things, they say, oh, let's have you see Dr. Friend for a consultation. That's wonderful. So they are open and um, so I want to make sure that we have time to talk about your book. So I know now you are um, in Tucson, you're practicing integrative psychiatry, and that's so great that you're able to open other people's eyes, our, your colleagues, um, to the wonders of, of an integrative approach, because I personally think that that's the best way to practice, because I truly believe in traditional medicine, but I also believe in incorporating other types of medicine um, alternatives that, um, that may help people just feel a lot better. So tell me a little bit about um, your book and how you got into or how you decided to write a book. So here I am uh, in this traditional community mental health center with patients, uh, patients, family, parents, parents or legal guardians bringing these kids. And these are the kids complicated, like really, really difficult, as, as you can imagine. Mm -hmm. So I got very sick of hearing people tell me about problems. Okay, very simple. They kept, everybody would come in and tell me what's wrong. Well, isn't that what you're supposed to do when you come to a doctor, right? Like yeah. tell you the problem and we're gonna fix it. Well, one day I said, I don't like this. I don't wanna do this. Let's talk about what's going right. So then I made a little chair in my office and the kids, the kids would never wanna come in. They would just slink in the corner because they knew their parents were gonna talk about all the bad things. It was like a rap sheet. So finally, I just stopped it. I said, you know, I told the parents, they said, you know what? We're not going to start this way. We'll get to your problem. I get it. You've got a problem. You're, otherwise, you wouldn't be here. But let's go to the greatness chair here. It's just a simple chair. We're going to call this the greatness chair. Now, tell me, I would ask the child, tell me about your greatness. And they go, what? Anyway, I kind of built it out from there. Then we would get the parent to talk. And I would coach the child and the parent how to see what was going right. What quality, not that they got an A on a spelling test, mm -hmm. what qualities of character, of personality, of being did this child have to get that A on a spelling test or to not choke their brother when <laughs> the brother stepped on their foot or whatever, you know? Yeah. Uh, or, or that they didn't tear up the classroom one day when they, yeah, whatever. So then... Um, I found that I was more successful at reaching the parents to stop focusing on the negative when I did it that way. So then I wrote, I wrote a children's book called The Greatness Chair, which children love, but it's also parent education in disguise. <laughs> and, and through a delight, you know, for, you know, it's a children's story, but it teaches the basic idea of how to look at what's going right mm -hmm. and how parents can call out these greatness qualities in their children and shift this energy dial from negative to positive. 
And I think that's, that's so important to me. And I have a 10 year old myself and um, as a parent um, and having a lot of stress in our lives, it's really hard to focus on hard, not to just focus on the negatives um, that's going on just in our environment as well. So I think it's very important to focus on the positives and children pick up on that. <laughs> well, the thing is, is that children want our attention and energy and they're going to get it. They, they want it, they need it, it's important. And you know what? Most kids are addict, addicted to negative energy because most parents, good parent, good parents, when things are going well, they think, oh good, I have time to myself. I don't have to be running interference with anything. Yes. That's actually the time when you should be jumping in with the energy. Yeah. They're going right. And yeah. not so much when it's going wrong and just kind of like, it's almost like unplugging yourself not really ignoring, but just kind of unplugging and then be ready to jump in with your energy the minute rules not being broken or they exhibit some baby step in the direction that you want to see. And children love it. They read our energy. Oh, yes. <laughs> and, you know, we're, unfortunately, our brains are designed to see the negative more than the positive, you know, for survival. You know, I think yeah. that's pretty well-known knowledge. You know, it's scanning for danger or whatever so we can survive. So it's very natural to um, say, well, gosh, why aren't I doing this? Well, our brains don't find it so natural. So we do have to make a little bit of an extra effort and intention to shift our perspective and realize our, phys our neurology or whatever is not set up this way. However, the more you do it, the easier it gets. Yeah, I mean, it definitely is retraining. Um, I mean, if you grew up in a household that really focused on all the negatives, it's really hard to retrain as you get older, as you become a parent, to not do the same thing. So it is about, you know, a little bit of just the more you do it, the easier it becomes. Um, so we are running a little bit out of time, um, but I wanted to make sure we talked about your book because I think it's so great. And that's one of the things that I would love to one day do is to write a book as well. I really loved hearing your journey um, from medicine to, or internal medicine to nuclear medicine, to psychiatry or to, to psychiatry and then music and now children's psychiatry or child psychiatry. Um, I think it's a, a great, fascinating journey. Um, if there is, um, if people want to reach out to you to connect with you, is there a way for them to do so? I think the best way to connect with me would be to go to my author website, which gives you uh, my email and a link to the book and a little bit about me. And it is uh, uh, greatnesschair.com. Greatnesschair.com. So I will be posting this information on our show notes and I will also be posting this video on YouTube. So hopefully I can figure all that out. Um, again, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing your journey and uh, your words for health and wellness, which is heart and breath. And I definitely think that your, your personal journey really ex um, just exhibits those two words. Um, any last words or anything that you want to share? Well, I'm just grateful to be here and that you're doing this podcast. And I, I just want to give encouragement. I know how hard it is to be a doctor. Oh my goodness. I know, I know the whole thing. And I'm just here to say that there, 
I, I think doctors in some ways are some of the most visionary and idealistic people on the planet. And it just gets knocked out of you. But it, if you go back deep into your heart, go to the, go to the website, you know, Heart Institute for Applied Meditation, Heart uh, Rhythm, Learn Heart Rhythm Meditation. It'll just give you an anchor in your heart to get back to that place. Yeah. I think that's really important, especially, I mean, right now um, with everything going on with COVID-19, um, I know my friends and colleagues are on the front lines and um, it's a really tough time for all of us in the healthcare world dealing with all of this. And so definitely appreciate your support and everyone else's support in the midst of this crisis. So I really appreciate those, those comments. Okay, well, Thank you so much. Thank you and good luck. Good luck to you. Thank you so much. Okay, bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Wish Well podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. Please subscribe and follow along every week for new episodes. You can find us on Instagram at wishwell.health and at our website, wishwell.health.blog. Until next time, I wish you health and I wish you wellness.